Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It's time to find out the stories behind the stories. Welcome to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. Get ready for some amazing guests, along with Nick's own expertise and insight behind some of today's top news in sports. The where, why, and how. Now, here's your host, Nick Ferguson. Welcome back to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. I know you can... Listen to anyone, anywhere, but I'm glad you're here with us on Voice America Sports. You can find me on Twitter at NickFerguson underscore 25. There have been several topics that have been up for debate. I think one that probably is taking precedent over a lot of things is it's players' health. And, you know, there's a movie coming out at the end of this month starring Will Smith called Concussion. And there's been a lot of concussion awareness since uh, several uh, star players over the past couple of years have uh, taken their lives. The league has started to try to do some things about this, implement some programs, try to get guys checked out, but more importantly, they've hired independent neurologists, and their jobs specifically are to stand on the sideline when a guy gets nicked up or he gets dinged, and what that means for individuals who are not familiar with football lingo language, that's when someone either delivers a blow or receives a blow, and now they have to be pulled out of that game to go through what they call a concussion protocol where they either do something on the sideline where they take them through a bunch of tests on the sidelines or they take them back to the locker room where they do a more comprehensive and detailed checkout, scan, whatever, with that particular player because they're, they're always a, a baseline test. Before the season starts, each guy goes through a baseline test. Just kind of give you guys some back knowledge on this. Uh, each player goes through a baseline test, and then at any point that they sustain a concussion or it's thought that they have sustained a concussion, they go back to those results. The person goes through the concussion protocol they go through the rigors to test, and then they compare the results after the said alleged concussion to the results before the person was concussed. Those will be the results at the beginning of the season. And they have a way through this process somewhat of determining whether a guy is ready to go that week because the old test was just that. It was the eye test. You know, come stand over here. How many fingers do I have? Where are you? Uh, is it daytime? Is it nighttime? And, you know, depending on how smart you were as, as a guy, there were, there were ways that you could manipulate that system because guys want to go out there and play. They want to go out there and be with their teammates. But it, we've reached the impasse where you, you got to start protecting the players 
from themselves because it's that macho bravado. And it's not just football players. We, as men, we have that, I guess, kind of imprinted and bred it in us where, you know, it goes all the way back to when you were a child. A little girl falls on the floor. Everyone goes, oh, she's all right. Pat her on the back. How are you? But a little boy falls on the ground. Oh, dust yourself off. You got to be tough. You know, men don't cry. So we've come up in that, in the society where, you know, that has been how we've been pushed forward and moved forward as men. We don't cry. We have to be tough. Duff yourself off. Yeah, it's a scar, but it'll heal. So keep on moving. So considering that, fast forward, Case Keenum went down in a game. And I know the Rams took a lot of flag. The team, the organization, the training staff, because if you watched Case Keenum try to pick himself up off the floor, that was very difficult to watch because he was kind of stumbling over himself. And, we, and we've seen things of this nature before, especially watching a boxing match. But that's why I tell people, you know, right now, the football in the NFL, they're, they're becoming the poster child for this. But it's not just the NFL. It's not something that's predicated just to the NFL. We have a lot of other contact sports. You know, there's, there's hockey, a contact sport, boxing for sure. You go inside the ring knowing that, hey, someone's going to mix your brain up in some way and you're going to taste the canvas, even Major League Baseball. But for some reason, the NFL seems to have the bright lights pointed on it. So I just wanted to throw that out there. It's not just an NFL thing. It happens in a lot of our contact sports. It's more spoke about and in leading the headlines in the NFL more so than anywhere else. But like I was saying, you know, Case Keenum goes down. Obviously, he's disoriented. Obviously, you know, his equilibrium is off, but somehow he goes back into the game. And the question was, well, who's supposed to step in? The independent neurologists that are or were hired on the sideline, they were supposed to be there to make sure that, you know, you, you check all your T's, you dot all your I's, and make sure the young man doesn't go back in the game, but he goes back in the game. And, you, and you, there's always cause for concern because you, you wonder about the, the mental damage or the brain damage that occurs when you have a concussion and you don't have an opportunity to sit out and get properly evaluated before going back in the, in the game because you have to understand, if you were to look out at the brain within itself, just imagine taking a bowl of jello, right? Putting that inside of a Tupperware container and just kind of shaking that around. You know, that, that, that's the easy examples I can give for you or give to you, that is, of what happens when someone gets a concussion. And, and, and this, this could even happen riding a roller coaster. You, you wonder why individuals, after they have ridden so many roller coasters, there's like this orientation and they feel, you know, that nauseated feeling coming, coming on. It is the same thing. The brain is moving around inside your skull, bouncing from side to side. And the human body wasn't built for that. So when you add physical contact, massive bodies and speed to that, it creates an even more damaging effect. And you have to look at, you know, what are the results 
long term. So to me, when, when engaging in any type of physical activity, you know, you should always know the pros and cons and then make that decision for yourself. You know, definitely make that decision for yourself. But with the Case Keenum situation, he goes back and he's, he plays. And I was wondering, why, why is he playing? Did they get, give him the full, thorough, you know, protocol treatment, take him in the back? You know, I mean, whatever that is, make sure it's done thoroughly because we don't, we don't want guys to be in these situations as they get older and, and, and we, you know, certain things are accelerated as far as their, their mental and physical health. We don't want that. But as of recently, Matt Schaub, one of our former teammates, they're playing the Miami Dolphins. He gets slammed to the ground, and you can see Matt Schaub, I mean, physically grab his head. And I'm like, wait a minute, are they going to take him out? They pan to the sideline, and there's Jimmy Clausen with the earpiece in, and you see Jimmy Clausen move as though, hey, listen, I'm getting ready to go in the game and pull Matt Schaub out. So to me, everyone was aware of it, but to me, pull him out of the game. Take Max Schaub out of the game. Let's take him to, through a thorough protocol. And if everything checks out, I still say hold him out for a couple of series so we can make sure that he has all his bearings and, and put the put the backup in there. And it, it gives you an opportunity to see with a guy like Jimmy Clausen or any backup for that matter what they might be able to do. But we are in the different age where – Player safety is so important, so important because you have, you know, the college kids are looking on, high school, and even Pop Warner. And in college football, they have the rule that if your helmet comes off, whether it's you hitting someone else or someone hits you, you have to come out for a play. You have to come out for a play. Could you imagine the key drive and the playoff atmosphere? Or better yet, the Super Bowl. Guy Helmets comes off, and this rule is implemented, and he has to come out on a pivotal drive, and that team doesn't win. Man, I know some fans will be highly upset, but I'd rather have upset fans than a disoriented player. That's kind of hurt long term. So, you know, like I said before, the league is trying to implement some new things to take care of that uh, quiet stumbling rumblings, as I would like to call it. But technology is still advancing. We still are learning out more information about head trauma, uh, how to diagnose it, more importantly, how to treat it. But I think to have more con- more concussion discussions, I think it needs to be something that needs to take place especially with the players, Players Association, and the NFL because it's, it's, you got to think about, about it being in one big family. You know, and you have to protect the product, and the players are the product. And we've seen this season like several guys, Luke Keekley, who plays for the undefeated Carolina Panthers, he missed consecutive weeks because it was deemed he wasn't ready to go back in due to the concussion protocol. I know guys want to go out there and play. They want to be a part of their team's success and know that they are key elements and their key dynamic in making that happen. But you got to think about yourself long term. Even the great Big Ben, Ben Roethlisberger, 
who plays quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, he said when he sustained his concussion, you know, the one thing that he thought about was his family. You know, he, he now has kids. He, he's, not, he's no longer the young, you know, spry Ben Roethlisberger, and we know about his off-the-field issues, the, the motorcycle incident that he found himself in. But as you start to gain experience in the league, as you start to get older, there, there's a certain level of maturity that you encounter. You grow up. You know, you grow up on the field. You grow up off the field. And, and that's the thing that was happening with Ben Roethlisberger. And he realized, listen, you know, I've been known for being a very – tough guy to take a lot of shots and still get up and play. And I have to say, I, I, I listen, I applaud him. I mean, I played against him. I've watched him take some big shots. I watched him get up and come back in and play. But he realizes now at this state of his career, and let's just say this state of his life as a man, as a father, that those things are important. And this could be a starting trend for a lot of players. You know, instead of leaving it in the hands of the athletic trainers, they decide for themselves. And 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 that's another big thing as well. I mean, once again, like I said, this is a team effort. If you are on any team, you know, Pop Warner, high school, college, even the pro game, and you see your, your, your fellow teammate is dinged up, get him out of the game. We, we know, you see it. You know when a guy's not himself? You know, he, he, he's staggering around. He, he's trying to gain his footing, his bearings, and you have to hold on or he has to hold on to you to walk him off the field. We know what that is. So we have to do a better job and be better teammates. Look out for that guy next to you. So... It's going to be really interesting to see how Will Smith's new movie, Concussion, is received by the general public. Uh, how it's received by you know coaches around this country, players, you know, and moms. Because I tell people all the time, listen, the man may be viewed in our society as being the head of the household, but hey, what mama wants. Mama gets. And that's where you have to do the campaigning. And that's why you, where you have to try to make those or force those decisive decisions for mama. If mom doesn't want her young son to play, that's going to make it really difficult. But when you, if you were to explain it and break it down, and you, you made mom feel very comfortable about the technology, uh, the protocols that are being used, the safety measures that are being used. And yes, in the NFL, they can't afford those uh, neurologists to be on the sideline and go through that protocol. But in high school and Pop Warner, they don't really have those funds. And, and I would say this, knowing as though those are the farming systems where the NFL future stars are, Maybe they invest in that. Maybe they work out something with the NCAA where they have neurologists on the sidelines. And and you know what? Some teams do. Some teams do. 
And then in Pop Warner, make sure that someone's there on the sideline. I know it, when you go to Pop Warner games around this country, they have emergency workers there. But making sure that there is an emergency worker that is familiar with the protocol. And I know that the NFL has programs, you know, the Heads Up program, which is great, teaching young coaches how to be aware of these kind of head trauma incidents, but the being better coaches and how to t- coach, how to tackle. So maybe that's something that they can work on where they put one of these EMS workers through the protocol so they can actually know what to look for, what the signs are. And I think that's the biggest thing. Have the coaches know, the players know, uh, the EMS workers know, uh, the parents know. So everyone's aware of what these signs are because sometimes these signs may not take place at the time of the injury. And that's what makes it a little scary and dangerous. There may be signs that take place afterwards. And if we're not well equipped at kind of knowing what these signs are, Sometimes we can miss them. We can miss them. So we want to make sure that we're definitely aware of it. But, but that, that's what I'm suggesting. You know, everyone get trained up, you know, get that little education so they know how to protect players and protect players from themselves. It's all about education. I think that's with anything. It's the more education you know, the better it is, the better sound decisions that can be made for overall health for for players. So there's much that can be done, much that can improve. And and I see those things definitely improving over the next couple of years. Because like I said earlier, players are aware of the pros and cons, you know, if you will, of saying something about a particular injury of this magnitude and choosing not to. And I think where we're heading now with the knowledge that players have, you're going to see more players probably opt to say, listen, I don't think I'm ready to go back in the game because, you know, my concussion-like symptoms have not worn off. And I think that's the best thing for the game. It definitely is. It is the best thing. Having a healthy Ben Roethlisberger out there on the field, a healthy Matt Schaub out there on the field. It sends the right message to the fans and it sends the right message to the future stars of America. When we come back, we're going to talk a little about trash talk. Is there such a thing as man code or not? I don't know, but we'll discuss it. On an opposite side of this break, you're listening to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective here on Voice America Sports. Hi, I'm John Rainey, Chief Financial Officer of United Airlines, and I'm honored to be the National Chair 
for the 2015 March for Babies campaign for the March of Dimes. United is a proud supporter of the March of Dimes mission to improve the health of babies and fight premature birth. We're helping the March of Dimes fund breakthroughs in research and community programs that help more mothers have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Please join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit marchofdimes.org. Check your feelings at the door and enter the man cave. Don't let the name fool you because we're here for anybody that wants to talk and listen in. Host J.D. Harris and Ray Austin are here to lead the forum from the fans, former players, owners, execs, and coaches. While inside the man cave, you do whatever you like. We won't judge. We'll even go beyond sports to talk technology, current events, and entertainment. Tune in every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. You're listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to nickferkshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Before we went to the break, we were talking about concussions and ways to better help parents coaches medical staff understand what seems to be a growing trend not just in the NFL but contact sports period and and, and let me I just want to get back on this point really quick and then I'll move on major league baseball changed their rule where a guy rounding third could no longer running to the catcher at home plate hoping that maybe they, they can dislodge the ball from his hands and eventually score. Now, I applaud them. Now, this this has been, in, I guess, part of the game for, for years. And, and some baseball enthusiasts, they were not happy about it. They said that it was part of the game. It had been there for so many years. But to them, I say this. If something works in the best interest of the game within itself – if it works in the best interest of player safety, because that's the big thing we're talking about, player safety, why not change that? Because fans want to see their favorite players play, pitch, knock home runs, round third base, go home, score points. I mean, it's great for the game. That's why fans tune in. That's why the viewership is up. That's why when you look at stadiums, they're packed. They want to see their best player play in those games available for the world series available for those all-star games so if we protect them in that particular manner by changing some of the rules upsetting a couple of longtime fans but you still keep the game pure because the game is about the players their level of production on the field so for every league every team president every gm Anyone, players association that are looking to change rules to protect the product, which is the players, I applaud you. I just say keep pushing forward. Let's see if we can change more rules to better help the players out, keep them safe without really altering that much about the game. But moving right along, 
Let's talk about coaching decisions. Now, coaching decisions can either cripple you or they can elevate you to the top of your field. And we all remember the beginning of this, well, not the beginning of the Super Bowl, but the ending of the Super Bowl when Pete Carroll decided, well, I'm not going to run the ball with Marshawn Lynch beast mode. I mean, just punch it in for a sure-handed touchdown. But I'm going to decide to defer to my quarterback and allow him to throw a pass in the end zone. And maybe on some accounts it was a high percentage pass, but, you know, we all know how that ended. Coaching careers, I believe, are made and destroyed by the decisions that coaches choose to make. Going forward on fourth and two, you you reach midfield and decide, hey, that's a perfect time for a fake punt. You're already at midfield. So if you don't make it, all right, now you put your defense on the field and now they have to play ball. I get it. I understand. And, and there are some coaches that believe that in order to increase your opportunity to win or for victory, you have to take what is deemed calculated risk. I mean, I, I get that. I'm all for taking calculated risks, but it has to make sense. And that's the big thing. Does it make sense? Does it put your team in jeopardy? Maybe if it's almost like, what's the, what's the show? Oh, I think it's, you know, you want to be a millionaire or something like that. And you take risk on the questions that you choose to answer or choose not to answer. But it's kind of one of those things. That's how you measure it as a coach. Your decision-making ability. Do you put your players in a position to be successful? And what I'm talking about is... Tom Coughlin, a coach that everyone, seems like every year, is it not? Every year Tom Coughlin's job is in jeopardy. I mean, he took over from Coach Fossil in, I believe, 2004. And it just seems every year his job is in jeopardy, especially at the beginning of the season. And, and people have these knee-jerk reactions, fans. I mean, I'm like, come on, man. It's a long season. It's 18 games. They say you may start 0-2. And I know the rule of thumb is any team that starts off 0-5, 0-6, their chances of making the playoffs, even the Super Bowl, are slim to none. I totally get that. But a team may drop their first two games, and then all of a sudden it's like disaster time. And I think that that happens when the level of expectations go up increasingly for you as a team and as a coach based on prior success. But with Tom Coughlin and some of these decisions that have been made, you know, this season, it's just like, man, wow, that's shocking. The New York Giants, I mean, you look at the fact that I think there's been about, what, five games this season where they've lost or they've had leads 
of six points or more, but somehow found a way to blow those games. And I know there's always a flip side to a coin, right? So where all the pundits are saying, listen, the Giants, they don't know how to finish games. It is Tom Coughlin's fault. He didn't prepare his team during the week to finish those games. And it's all his fault. Now, as a head coach, he's going to take that on the chin. He's going to say, listen, it was my fault. I didn't prepare them for these games. And as a guy who sat in a locker room after win, more importantly after a loss, when you sit there and watch that film on Monday, that's a collaborative effort. You don't don't just win as an individual. You don't win as an individual coach. You sure... Heck, don't, you know, don't lose as an individual player or a coach. That's a team game. That's why it always bothers me when the quarterbacks, they win the games and say, hey, look what this quarterback did. He won the game. If you won the game and it was a defensive effort, special teams effort, you know, mediocre you know, performance by the quarterback, well, he still gets the nod and the victory. He still gets to kiss the prom queen. But it's like, well, if he loses the game, it's everyone else's fault. No. If you're going to get all the praise when you win, you're going to take the brunt of it when you lose. And I guess that's what's happening with Tom Coughlin. They're playing the New York Jets. Let's call them in-town rivals. They share the same stadium. You know, that's like sharing the same bump bed with your brother. Right? Well, he wants the top bunk. You, you know, you want the top bunk too. Now you got to play a game of, of, of wrestling with the thumbs to determine who's going to sleep on the top bunk. But the bunk is MetLife Stadium. Bragging rights. Neither team is pretty much on the top of their division, but still fighting for their playoff lives. And, I mean, you got to think about it. The Giants have always been the creme de la creme of the Big Apple. Two Super Bowls. Jets' only Super Bowl appearance, Joe Willie Namath, was in a uniform, guaranteeing a win. Not seeing that now. I don't think any of the Jets players would go out there on the limb and say, hey, I'm going to guarantee the victory. I'm going to guarantee we get to the Super Bowl. Not going to happen. Maybe some years to come, but not right now. Fourth and two. You're up by 10. The score is 20 to 10. Maybe... A little over eight minutes remaining in the game. Coach Coughlin decides, I'm going to go for it on fourth and two. But Eli Manning was unsuccessful. Threw an interception. The Jets drove the ball down the field. Did score. Didn't put, put it in the end zone, but kicked the field goal. Kicked it off back to the Giants. Three and out. Giants kind of feeling sorry for themselves. The Jets then took the ball down the field and scored what would be, I guess, a tying touchdown to send it into overtime. And I'm, I'm thinking, what? what? What just happened here? And I'm thinking, here we go again. And I'm sure the Giants fans and their coaching staff and the players are thinking the same thing. Oh, here we go again on the verge of dropping yet another game. 
I mean, kudos to the Jets for continuing to fight. And that, that, that is a testament to who their head coach is, Todd Bowles. It's always that never-say-die type of attitude. I mean, is this a Super Bowl team? Probably not. Is this a playoff-bound team? I would say probably so. A couple of things have to happen for them to probably get in, but the idea is you have to believe in yourself and to be able to come back and win games. And I, and I don't want to say this is not a road game for them. It's their home stadium, but that's perseverance. That's that resilience that you talk about, to be able to come back and fight back, to push it into overtime, and then to do and handle your business in overtime to pull out the game. That's big time, but you have to wonder about Tom Coughlin. Will he survive this? Will his two Super Bowl victories in 2011, 2007, be enough for the Giants' brass to really overlook some of the debacles this season? And I'm sure Tom Coughlin is telling his guys, look, our record is what it is. Were there some games that we should have won that we did not win? Absolutely. Were we in those games? Absolutely. But we didn't make the necessary plays down the stretch that we needed to make to be on top. And as a player, that's tough. That's tough to know that you put yourself in a position for three quarters 50 minutes only to watch it slip through your hand because bad clock management, a fumble, an interception inside the red zone, going forward on fourth and two instead of taking the three points, forcing your opponent to have to score twice to beat you. These are the decisions that you have to make as a coach. You live and die by these decisions. I mean, it's tough. But that's why you're always told you have to play the game for 60 minutes. There's two halves, but the last time I checked, they don't stop it. This is not like John Madden football that, hey, listen, someone tripped over the cord, someone hit the pride button, someone just hit reset, the power went off. Can't do that. You have to play these games out. And when you allow your opponent to stick around, that builds confidence in that opponent. And and we always talk about the momentum swing. No matter whatever the sport is, the momentum swing. When you start that momentum, that ball rolling downhill, you have to keep that in your corner. You don't want to relinquish that. My old coach, Jeff Reinbold, who's now coach, coaches with the Hamilton Ticats and the CFL, his whole thing was you got to make them break their sword. That's the one thing you have to do. You have to make them break their sword. I mean, you got to get to a point where your opponent coming in, he may feel as though, listen, we have as good of an opportunity as anyone to win this ballgame. But it reaches a point by your play, by the play calling, the level of execution, the physicality of it, putting your body on another player, wearing them down, that they realize at a certain point, we can't win this game. No matter what we do, 
no matter what kind of personnel we have, we have no chance of winning this game. That's what you have to do. That's football. That's any sport. Let, let me be totally honest. That's any sport. So many times we see coaches have a big lead or, or have just kind of a marginal lead, but they start to get conservative. You see it with the play calling. You see it with the level of execution, the lack of focus on the field by the players. And watching these games, I'm like, what's happening? For so many plays and so much time in this game, you've had your foot on the throttle all the way down to the floor. Then all of a sudden at this point in the game, you take your foot off the throttle. Let's go, go, but going back to that Detroit Lions game versus the Packers last Thursday. They rushed three. Now granted, the Detroit Lions should have been well prepared knowing on the Big Ben play, you block out all receivers, even the trailer. But Richard Rodgers, hey, someone fell asleep at the wheel, and he caught a pass that pretty much ended their playoff hopes. But to me, that's where that preparation has to come in. And once again, in the game time situation, knowing that there's no time on the clock, and the last person you want to give an opportunity to try to make an attempt to make something happen, even a miracle, because let's be totally honest, that, that's a miracle. If, if the Green Bay Packers threw that Hail Mary 10 times, they complete that maybe twice, th- twice, and, and that, that's me being generous. So that's why you cannot rush three players. You give the quarterback entirely too much time. Keep the pressure on. Don't stop with this conservative football. Forget that. And on everyone's want to play by the rules, the unwritten code, you know, you don't want to score too many points. Look, if they can't stop you, that's not your fault. Keep your foot on the gas pedal. Get better personnel. Call a better game. Why, why am I going to reduce my players to playing a low level, a lower level of play in execution because, what, people want to say, well, the, the ethics of the game? The ethics of the game is to win. And we're going to keep scoring points. Now, it may get to a point where we're like, ooh, man, we're scoring entirely too, too many points. This is like shooting fish in a barrel. Then you, then you put your second and third teamers in. Now, if they're still scoring, look, hey, our personnel is just far superior to yours. You have to do a better job in personnel department. Make them break their sword, as Jeff Reinbold would say. Forget all this conservative play. You were aggressive for the first 40, 48 minutes. Finish that. Finish the drive. Coach is always talking about finish that route. You catch it, finish through the end zone. You run the ball, finish through the end zone. You catch an interception, Take it back. Pick six. Finish through the end zone. Because it trains the body and the mind to finish. That's what the game of sports about. It's not being all sensitive. Being all conservative. Because being conservative gets you beat. It gets you fired. Now you're driving home. You're second guessing yourself. Maybe I should have done this. Maybe I should have done that. If you're doing, if you're having that conversation 
with yourself, with your spouse, with the the guy you coach with? Well, we we already know what happened. You became conservative. And that's the last thing you want to do is become conservative. Just get out there and continue to play the game of football. Make aggressive plays, but make smart plays. That's the biggest thing. You want to be aggressive, but you want to make smart plays, smart play calling, smart execution. Those are the things that you want to do. Now, those are not surefire ways to guarantee wins, but it's a whole lot better than becoming conservative, increasing your opportunity to drop a game. That's what I say. You don't want to do that. Coming up, is there room for trash talking in the game of sports? Trash talking. Is there such a thing as crossing the line in trash talking? I don't know. We'll find out right after this break. You're listening to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective here on Voice America Sports. Want to experience football from the perspective of two former players who also have coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver and Sam Sword. We'll talk about the drafts, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl and Sam have the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. We'll cover the camps, on and off field, and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. You're listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to nickferkshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Before we went to break, we were talking about trash talking. Is it such a thing as crossing the lines? I mean, I mean when you really think about it, trash talking has been a part of, I guess, sports for a while. It was a way to get inside of your opponent's head, a way to, I guess, interpolate that player, get him off his game. Some guys have been masterful, you know, at it. Uh, Michael Jordan. I guess you wouldn't look at Michael as being a huge trash talker, but he found ways to get inside his opponent's head. So they're more focused on him than what they're trying to do on the court. And I remember those rivalry games between the Knicks and the Chicago Bulls. And I know if, if you are in my age bracket, you definitely remember. Because now the basketball that the kids are watching now, it is not the same type of bo- basketball. They don't let them play that physical type of basketball, especially down low. But watching those Bulls, you know, those early Bulls and – the New York Knicks go go after it. Patrick Ewing. I remember when he and Scottie Pippen kind of got into it when Scottie came through the lane and just slammed on him and just kind of shoved him at the end of it. Man, th- those were the days. And then 
John Stark, and and just just the whole Bulls team, right? It was just like John Stark's against the world, but but that's where when basketball was basketball, and trash talk was trash talk. Now we live in a world of social media, where trash talking has taken on a new form. And that's cyberbullying, which I think it's it's kind of idiotic within itself. Someone's going to sit behind an IP address and use to say words that they wouldn't say to someone's face via computer and hide behind that computer. Now, I'm not advocating in any way for any violence, any fisticuffs, but I've always been raised, if you're going to say something to someone else, you might as well say it to their face. Don't say it behind their, ba- their backs. Don't hide behind some some mask or some screen, some fiber optic cable. Say it to their face. But that doesn't always happen. But in professional sports, on the other hand, absolutely it happens. They call that trench warfare. Mental warfare. Because as has been said, the game is 99.9% mental. And 1% physical. And we could debate that if we wanted to. But is can you get in the head of your opponent? Can you make them break their sword, as we talked about in the second segment? Get so focused on you that they're not worrying about what they have to do on the field. When they go to the sideline, they're arguing with their coaches. They're arguing with their teammates. Because their performance, they're not allowing that to speak volumes for them. You know, my old coach, George O'Leary, used to say that all the time. And Bill Parcells. Don't do all that jibber-jabber. Stop all that talking. Go out there and allow your helmets and your shoulder pads to speak volumes for you. See, that's the best trash talk there. That's the trash talk nullifier. Right there. A guy's talking trash. I'm not going to say anything. But then you make a nice tackle on him. And then that's it. Because I wasn't a trash talker when I was a player. I would take my coach's philosophy. Let's say someone gave me a cheap shot. All right. I might not be able to get you, but I'm going to get the next ball carrier. And when I serve him up, I'm going to say, you know what? When you go back to the huddle, tell your buddy that was for him. Now, let's keep it clean. What's going to be like this all day? But some players choose to take things a tad bit far, too far. Well, the New York Jets and the Giants faced off earlier this week, and of course you all, you guys know Colin Jenkins had some words to say to Brandon Marshall, which he, he later apologized for, but I think at the point at which he said the words, the damage had already been done. The die had, has already been cast at that point. Where he said something about Brandon Marshall's lady, not knowing that he was married, but 
as a man, you know, th- there's certain things you cannot say that will lead to an argument, altercation, fisticuffs. You can't talk about another man's kids, his wife, his mother. Oh, those those are grounds for, you know, some get back. And you can see if you watch the game, Brandon Marshall wasn't too happy about it. But he went out there and he allowed his play to speak volumes for him. So that's the thing. We always talk about bulletin board material. That's part of it. You don't want to feed that fire. You don't want to put a log on that fire by firing that guy up, by saying something totally outlandish that you should not say. You should never do that. But it happens all the time. Everyone's trying to find that winner's edge. And they think sometimes maybe he is that type of guy. And sometimes those things, believe it or not, can be in a scouting report. You know, they have, hey, listen, a guy, when he drops back, he steps on, steps back and pivots off of his right foot, and he, he telegraphs where he's going with the ball. On third down, this is the formation he likes inside the red zone. The back is offset to his right. So usually that means that back is going to run the screen or he's trying to get out for an outlet pass. So you see those type of things in the scouting report. But you also see, well, this guy has some, you know, he's not mentally tough. Well, what does that mean? He's not mentally tough. It's not just the fact that he can and will not play through injury, but he's a little sensitive. So we might be able to get into his head, get him off his game, get him frustrated. A lot of players can't play when they're frustrated. They're so enamored with the fact that how frustrated they are, they can't go out and execute. That's another part of the game, finding that winner's edge. Putting that person in the position where you test their mental fortitude. Are they that strong? Can they bounce back? And what happens is, and you see it in basketball all the time. Some guy gets dunked on. The fans on the sideline are heckling him. He can't focus. He's out on the wing on a three-point line, he gets ready to shoot the, shoot the shot. The fan jumps up, claps his hands, or says something. The guy misses the shot. Now they go, oh, it's on now. He's at the free throw line. The fans are heckling him. They're even playing music in the, in the loudspeakers. It, it's, it's all part of it. Some feel as though, yeah, you can't say certain things. Others feel as though, If it works, why not use it? If trash talking works against your opponent and it can take them off of their game, some people are the frame of mind, why not use that as another element if you already know that? That player has developed thicker skin. I mean, in, in my years, I've heard some things uttered on the sideline from players to other players. When guys are jumping on the ground trying to recover a fumble, there are things said, things are done. When guys are in the heat of battle, sometimes they don't care. And every team 
has either that one guy or a group of guys that is like an enforcer in hockey. His only job is to skate around the ice and make things happen. Some teams have guys that are like that. It's not like that guy's been designated that guy by the team, but that's just part of who he is. That's his upbringing. That's the cloth that he was cut from. And sometimes you lean on that guy. Charles Oakley used to play for the Knicks, play for the Bulls. He was one of those guys. Dale Davis, Alonzo Mourning, P.J. Anderson. So, so every sport has a group of those guys. And there's a lot of trash talk. Do you remember when Carmelo Anthony and Kevin Garnett mixed it up trying to find that winner's edge? Kevin Garnett said something to the effect that, well, Carmelo's wife tasted like Honey Nut Cheerios. Well, he took the fence to that. On and off the court. So much so that he's like, look, I have to go see him. And after that game, he went to the Celtics locker room and stood outside waiting for Kevin Garnett. If he could have walked in that locker room, he would have. Then that didn't work. So what did he do? He said, look, I'm going to go to your team bus. So Carmelo Anthony went to Kevin Garnett's team bus, stood outside trying to get him to come off the bus. But, of course, security had to intervene so nothing happened. So you got to be careful when you trash talk. Who are you talking to? You have to know the person who you are talking to. Like in that scouting report, you know the person who you can talk about and what you can possibly say to get into his head mentally. But you better know where that person is at that particular time. My mom always used to say, listen. If you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. That's why I wasn't a trash talker. I allowed my helmet and my shoulder pads to do all the talking for me. But if you are a trash talker, and there's a lot of trash talkers out there, you best to know the type of person that you're dealing with. Because that person may want to come see you off the court. Outside of the octagon if they don't handle it inside the octagon or off the gridiron. So I'm still in the frame of mind, and let's keep it clean. I understand the mental part of the game. Things happen. But you have to remember this. Deeds done, word said. Can't take them back. You can apologize all you want to, but you can't take them back. So play the game clean. But more importantly, know your personnel. Don't don't pick fights with guys that you you know you can't. Don't. Handle it like a man within that gridiron. On the hard court. Inside the octagon. Talk is cheap.
Anybody can talk. But let me see you play. Let me see you back it up. That's what you got to do. So save all that, that trash talking. I don't believe in it. They sticks and stones may break my bones, but words would never hurt me. That's the premise that I live on. That's the premise that I play by. So I encourage you to do the same thing. No need for that grandstanding. No need to, you know, make it all about you. It's a team atmosphere. Just go out there and do your job. Just go out there and play the game of football, basketball, whatever the sport is. You don't have to trash talk. See, when you talk a lot, they know exactly where you're coming from. When you don't say anything, and see, that's what becomes a problem. They don't know where you're coming from. They don't know what you're going to do. They can't anticipate your next move. You're an enigma. Keep them guessing. But play the game the right way. No need for all that trash talk. For me, you're doing all that trash talk, you're trying to talk yourself into the game. That's like a lack of self-esteem for me. Just get out there and play the game of football. That's all you have to do. Be sure to keep it clean out there. As you go out this weekend and watch more NFL football, another heavy slated games on the docket. Remember you listen to Nick Ferguson, Secondary Perspective, here on Voice America Sport. And you can follow me on Twitter at Nick Ferguson underscore 25. So I will see you guys next week. And also check me out on Twitter, some of your questions, your game day photos. Once again, keep it safe out there and respect yourself, fellow man. This is Nick Ferguson. And we are gone! Thanks again for stopping by. Be sure to catch Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. in the West on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll share some more great stories next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.